Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Anybody experience that? Seeing a bunch of nods and I'm doing that on purpose because I want to encourage you, let's do this more often. Not only in church with our friends, in small group, and let's pray and say, God, would you speak to me for my friend? Because you can hear God's voice. And we all know how encouraging is. Some of us have tasted it tonight. When I'm praying, I'm wrestling with something, and I'm, I'm thinking God is saying this, and somebody else comes, and they hear exactly what I'm hearing. They don't know the situation necessarily, but it just brings so much clarity. We had a great weekend last weekend with... Greg and James who were here, and I want to encourage you, if you missed any of this, the evening, the morning or the evening, the, the Sunday messages, go to our YouTube channel, go to our podcast and catch up on us. They really will bless you, they'll encourage you no end, and I want to sort of build on that foundation. It's so important that when we follow Christ, we understand that he, not only does He speak to us, but He speaks like a builder. God is a builder. In other words, God does something last week which He builds on what He did the week before, and He builds on what He did the week before. And one of the dangers is if we go around and, you know, you, you go and you order a pizza, and you put your toppings that you love on the pizza. And it's great, but then we start going around and we start eating the Word of God and, like a pizza, with my toppings on, and all the time I'm, I'm only hearing the stuff that I'm drawing to. And one of the beauties about being part of a church, and I know many of you here, you consider yourself part of this church. I want to encourage you, make a habit of saying, if I miss a Sunday, I'm going to make sure I catch up. It's not about catching up what Philip said. It's not about catching up what Yaku or whoever shared said. It's, what is God saying to us and to me? I don't want to have holes in my foundation. I want to have a healthy diet. And as God is speaking, I want to make sure that I'm on the page of what God is doing. I love the song we sang at the end, God, I just want you. So as an aside, just because I see now, I see Yaku's typing on his phone with his fancy pen there and stuff. I know many of us use our phones either as our Bibles or as a note-taking device, which is a great tool. If you don't have a phone, Get yourself a journal. Get yourself a notebook. Get into the habit of writing down when God speaks, because if you're anything like me, you probably suck at remembering. And then God speaks, and we hear His voice, and three weeks later, we've forgotten what God said. And then three months later, we're going through something, and we pray about it, and God says, but I've already spoken to you about this. You've just forgotten. Oh, God actually did, <laughs> but I wrote it down. I can go read and I can go see what has God actually said. How has God prepared me for this where I am? So I want to encourage you, get in the habit when God speaks to you, write it down. And because we're using our phones, many of us, you didn't know this, but your phone has got a really cool function. It's got a function which you can call Jesus mode, except it's called flight mode probably on your phone. And if you put that on, no one can disturb you. So we're going to do this regularly now. I want to encourage you. We might even put a sign at the back there. Otherwise, I must do like they did at 
one of the state of the nation dresses a while ago and just jam everyone's cell phones. Let's create a space where when we come and be with God, we're present to God. And we don't have our phone bugging and, you know, even you can have the purest intent making a note like Yaku's and the WhatsApp comes through or the notification from Instagram comes through. And it's not like I went looking for it, but there's just, I want to focus on Jesus. And so let's get into that habit of saying, God, I don't want to be distracted when I'm coming to you. And as an aside, that's not a bad decision to make from time to time in your life as well when you're with significant people. When you're having a dinner, consider putting your phone off. When you're with special people, put your phone aside and say, I want to focus, I want to be present to these people. I don't want to succumb to the tyranny of my cell phone. And so we read in Matthew 19, there's this guy, and this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, just because it was the passage that God spoke to me about changing from what I was doing into full-time ministry. But we see this man, he, he comes to Jesus with this question. He says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Don't we often find ourselves and the people around us asking that question, thinking, you know, if I just do the right stuff, I'm going to be okay. And it's a little bit like we've got the scale in our minds, the scale of our good and the scale of our bad. And as long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm okay in the eyes of God. The bad news about that is your, bad, your good is not very good at all. As a matter of fact, Jesus says to us in His Word, He says, all of your righteous works are like filthy rags before the Lord. The best stuff we can do can never balance out the sin in our lives. And so there's no deed we can do to inherit eternal life. That's the whole point of why Jesus came to die, because it's His deed that, inherit, that causes us to inherit eternal life. Salvation is, I love what Jonathan Edwards says, we contribute nothing to our own salvation except the sin which made it necessary. The only thing that we can make is we make the need for our sin. But Jesus did everything. And yet Jesus carries on in this conversation. He says, why do you ask me about what is good? In other words, kind of he's saying to the guy, so are you saying I'm good? Is that the implication in your question? And then he pauses there. He says, there's only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones, the man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. I've obeyed all of these commandments. Some of the translations add there, from my youth, the young man replied, what else must I do? And so I want us to think a little bit about this young man. Here is a guy who, if I can put this back into modern Christian speak, he's a good Christian. He's not swearing at work or at his studies. He's giving what he needs to give. He's a nice guy. He's not committing adultery. He's not killed anybody. He's not a thief. He's a good, if we can call him that, average modern-day Christian. Ticking all of the boxes. And yet there's something stirring inside of him saying, there must be more. There must be more. 
He's coming to Jesus and he says, what else must I do? Because I'm ticking all of the boxes, but still there's a question that's yearning within my heart. Still there's a desire for something more. Jesus, what else must I do? And so John Piper wrote a beautiful book. If you can get hold of it, it's worth reading. He says, don't waste your life. I like that. And then he speaks about the American dream. The dream to have a house at the beach or on one of the great lakes with a little boat on the side. And at 60 or 65 years old, you retire and you go and live there and you buy this beach with your boats. And he says he can't think of anything more sad than living with that as our end goal. And he can't think of for himself of anything more sad than as a 60 or 65-year-old person going and sitting for the rest of his life on a beach staring at the sea. It's great doing that for a holiday. It's good for a rest. There's nothing wrong as such with that. But he says, surely there has to be more to life. Don't waste your life living for the things of this earth. And this is what this young man has. The Bible He's come to be known as the rich young ruler. We know he was young because a little bit later. We know he's rich because he had many positions, um, possessions. And he was probably a, a guy with authority. And so there's this guy who, in a sense, has the world at his feet. He's the young guy who most likely to succeed at high school. Comes from the right family, has all of the right stuff. And he comes to Jesus and he says, God, there's got to be more than this. God, there's got to be more. What else must I do? And I sense, I believe that God has an invitation for this man as we see in his life and in your life and in my life that there is more. To come up higher, to know Him more, not to go through the mundane Christian life and live 60, 65 years old, go sit on a beach house somewhere having been a nice, friendly Christian, but only having been that. I believe God says there is so much more that He is inviting us to, that He's extending His heart towards us and He's saying, I want you to know me. I love that song. God, we just want you. And that's a little bit what I hear in this young man's prayer here. Jesus, what else can I do? God, there has to be more. And then comes the challenge. What if we come to Jesus with the question, God, what else can I do? And we don't like the answer. How do we respond when God speaks into our situation and He speaks over our life and answer that we do not know. If God says, come up, how do I grow more in Christ? How do I come to know Him more? Do we start praying, Jesus, I really want to know You, God. I want to see more of You in my life. How do we respond when we don't like the answer? Verse 21, we, we're carrying on. Jesus answers him, and some of the translation says, Jesus looked at him, loved him, and answered him. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away sad for he had many possessions. 
just as an aside, I don't for one moment necessarily want to say tonight that God is saying to all of us, we have to go and sell everything. I think a very simple way of reading Scripture is when it's clearly an individual conversation, then it's an individual conversation. When God is, in this case, speaking to a person, then it's a word for that person, and every word individually doesn't apply to everybody collectively. Can I give you a great example of that? Because some people struggle with that. How can God give different answers to the same question to different people? Well, very simply, can you imagine if two guys come together and they both pray about marrying the same woman? At most, one of them can be right that that is the person God wants them to marry. God can very clearly give the two of them completely different answers to exactly the same question. We're not talking here about morality. We're not talking here about doctrine. We're talking about those words that God speaks to us individually. And I believe this is a word which this God spoke to this one individually. We'll see the generic context of it now. He might be saying this to you. I'm not saying he's not saying this to you. What I'm saying is he isn't necessarily saying this to everybody. One of the biggest mistakes we make. So my wife has kind of a passion for eating well and all of that type of stuff. And she has a bunch of Christian books. Christian, sort of, about diets. You know the crazy thing? All of those books start the same way. I was going through a rough time. I was struggling with my health, and God told me this is how I must eat. And so they write a book about it. There's only one problem. They all say something different. So how now must I eat? You see, sometimes we make the mistake. We think that if God says it to me, He's obviously saying it to everyone. And that's not the truth. It could be 100% right that all of those authors heard God speak to them about how they should eat. The mistake they make is they assume this is now how everyone must eat. And so when we read Scripture, there are conversations like this, which is given to a specific individual, which applies individually. And then there are conversations we'll see in a moment, which God's have, God has with everybody, and that applies universally. So when we read Scripture, we should always keep that in mind. And so if we want to grow in Christ, I, I think we need to learn something a little bit from this young man. Because the secret I've learned in life is you can only grow when you are challenged. You can only grow when you are challenged. You don't grow when you're in a comfort zone. We see that with top sportsmen all the time, those of us who've played a bit of sport. We all want to train with people who are better than us because they inspire us, they encourage us, they challenge us. Yes, we'll train with the people when we're the best, the strongest, whatever in the team, but we realize we don't really grow in the situations. We grow in the situations where we challenge ourselves, when we allow ourselves to be stretched. Even in our academics, has anyone ever been in a situation where you're so stretched you think you're going to break academically? And then you get to the end and you're like, oh, I didn't know I had that in me. But I wouldn't have known. I would. But every time as I'm stretched, my capacity increases. And the next time when I'm faced with a similar situation, I realize I can actually do the night. What's today? Sunday on Friday night. And older couple that got married, he's in his early 40s, she's in her late 30s. And just a beautiful moment and he just shared something in his speech that when he was a student struggling with academics that his father-in-law, his father-in-law, his stepdad told him, stepdad looked at him and said, 
You know, if you've passed one subject, you can pass the next one. <laughs> Such simple truth, but it's, there's a lot of truth in that. If we realize that we have overcome, we've been stretched. I made it last time. Hey, maybe I can make the next one. And so when we come to God, we must understand that we can only grow in our faith when we are stretched in our faith. We can only grow in our understanding of Christ when we are stretched in our understanding of Christ. And so what are we going to do with the passages, the words from God that challenge us? There are many scriptures possibly that kind of we print out, we put on our phone as sort of the desktop background, our verse of the day, or somewhere we see it. It's an inspiring passage. Obviously, those are great. We love them. Keep them. The ones you print out and you put on your desk or at your office where you're studying. I want, every time I look up, I want to look at that scripture because it's encouraging and it's inspiring. I love it. And do that. But you know what's probably also true is very few of us have scriptures in those places that challenge us. We have scriptures that inspire us. What do I mean by challenge? I mean, it's like when you read scripture. I don't know if you've ever done this. I've got, a, I've got Bible typics. None of you do, but I do. And so what I read it from time to time, I, I read a passage, and I get to a passage that I don't really like. It doesn't really accommodate with me. I, I'm not sure I agree with it, and then I typics it out. And then I know it's there, but when I read it, I sort of just skip over it because it's uncomfortable to read it, and it's easier just to act like it's typics night. And I've got highlighted passages. You know those passages that are highlighted all the time? I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. Definitely. It's highlighted my boldest, brightest color. And then there's some other passages. Let's just act as if they're not there. I'm not going to actually say they're not there because that would just be wrong. But I'm just going to live as if they're not there. I'm definitely not going to spend time studying those passages because if I'm really honest, I don't actually agree with Jesus about that. Tim Story, not Tim Story, Tim Keller has got a great quote about that. He says, if your God can never disagree with you, you are likely only serving an idealized version of yourself. If your God can never disagree with you, here's a great question. When is the last time you disagreed with God? When is the last time you were praying and you felt God say something and you're like, God, I'm not so sure about that. Or you read a passage and you're like, whoa, I disagree. That's wrong. And then we stop and okay, but actually... God is right, because He's always right. So maybe I'm wrong. And so what I sense God is wanting to draw us into, He's wanting to say, if you want to know me more, if you want to grow as a disciple, here's a challenge. Replace your typics with a highlighter. Because you know what we do? We love, draw, we're drawn to the books, we're drawn to the teachings, we're drawing to the teachers who we agree with, who say what we like to hear who encourage us, who, yeah, that's so great, amen, we're standing on the chairs, come on, best sermon ever, because it's the same sermon I've been listening to in a different form for the last four years, it's my thing, I love it. Without knocking that, taking those messages away, what if we say, what if I take my highlighter and all of the passages that are uncomfortable, I spend time reading that, you know Why? Because those passages are going to reveal something about Jesus that I don't yet understand. 
They're going to show me something of Jesus that is foreign to who I am. You might not have noticed this yet, but God is different. He thinks different. And so God comes to this man. He's, I believe, got a sincere heart. He really wants to follow Jesus. And he says, Jesus, what must I do? And he doesn't like Jesus' answer. And so he leaves sorrowful. Church history does seem to say it's tradition. We can't kind of prove this. There isn't verifiable historical evidence, but there is sort of a, a tradition in church that this young man was actually a man called Barnabas. Barnabas became a travel companion of a young man named Saul who became Paul, who became an apostle. And so history, tradition at least, says that this guy went and he decided about it. And he, I'm sure if he did, he, he probably wouldn't have gone back to Jesus and said, okay, Jesus, here I am, I'm going to follow you. Jesus, did you sell all the stuff? Oh no, I decided to keep it, but I'm here to follow you anyway. I'm not sure that conversation would have gone down so well. We shall know the truth, Scripture says, and the truth shall set us free. But first, it will make you decidedly unhappy. Just a little interim you can put in there. We will know the truth. God will come and He will speak to us. But we have to understand that sometimes the truth of God will be very uncomfortable for us and will be very different to what we want it to be. There's some passages in Scripture I was saying this morning. You know, if the Holy Spirit had compiled all of the Scripture, had used all of these authors to write the Scriptures that we have today. And then just before finalizing, he said, and he said, here it is, Philip, can you just do a final edit on this for me? Can you just sort of just sanitize, just clean up the Scriptures a little bit because it's a little bit messy. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I would have taken out because I'm not God. But God didn't take it out because He is God. And so if I really want to know Him, if that song we sang earlier of nothing else will do, only you, Jesus, I think one of the ways in which I can learn to know Him best is if I take those passages and I say, God, let me study these. God, change and transform me until I agree with your word here, till I understand your word here, because this word reveals something about you that is different to me. So let's look at, at some of those passages today. Just before we do that, one of the reasons why we do small groups in a very specific way and perhaps different to many other churches. 20 years ago when sort of I was growing in the faith, if, if you wanted teaching that wasn't sort of in your local church, it was a bit of a challenge. You had to go and buy, some of you have never seen a thing, we used to call them VHS tapes, videotapes. Tito says, what's that? And you'd go and you'd drive to the church or whatever. You'd order it and they'd post it, this courier thing. This is all new. You'd have to go somewhere to be in a box, somewhere you collect it. And from time to time, you were able to get teaching that didn't take place within your local church. Nowadays, it's little message. It's whatever, 30 seconds or whatever it is on TikTok. There's the Facebook reel. There's the Instagram message. There's the... YouTube video clip, more and more. There's so much teaching. I'm not knocking any of it. A whole bunch of it is really, really, really good teaching. But teaching has become so accessible. But you know what we're missing? Is wrestling. 
what we do is we just hop from Scripture to Scripture, from message to message. And 20 years ago, I had one message the whole week. I, I couldn't listen to seven podcasts and watch six YouTube videos in a week. So I had one message, and it was uncomfortable sometimes because I had to wrestle with it. Now what we do is it's easy for us just to hop to the pizza toppings that we like. Sometimes we have to slow down. and You know, I'm of the complete conviction that anything that you need to learn to eat doesn't have to be eaten. So they tell me this olive thing is an acquired taste. I have no desire to acquire the taste. If it tastes bad to start with, why do I need to eat it until it tastes nice? If it tastes bad, it tastes bad. Let me just get something else to eat. Life is just more simple that way. But sometimes scripture is an acquired taste. A friend of mine didn't like olives. Yako knows the value. He was best man, I think, at both of our weddings. And he took, he didn't like olives at first. And then someone told him he has to learn to eat olives. So he went and ate a, bought a bowl or whatever of olives. And he just ate them all. And he said afterwards he liked olives. But sometimes we have to do that with Scripture. Sometimes we have to find the parts of Scripture that we don't like, that are not tasty, and eat them until we like them. And so in our small groups, apart from the relationship, the getting to know one another, the really, really spiritually important component for me of our small groups is not about finding another teaching, another message, another, another, another. It's creating space to wrestle. To say, guys, I don't like what God is saying to me. But it is God who is saying it to me, so I've got a problem. Or I'm not sure what God is saying to me. This is what I think God is saying to me. And this is how I think it could look in my life. Can we figure this out? Can you guys pray with you, me? Can you stand with me? And someone else shares, and we're like, I actually think that could be God. Or I think you're missing God because of A, B, and C. But let's wrestle together, not with deep theology. There's a place for that, but can we just wrestle with the Word of God spoken to us? I would love to imagine that this young guy, where God says to him, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor and come follow me. I would like to think that he had a place that he could go and sit down to and he says, guys, this is what I think God said to me. Actually, I know God said this to me, but this is hard for me. But I want to follow Jesus, but it's hard. Can you guys help me? Pray with me. Encourage me. I want to follow Jesus. I need to figure out how I'm going to do this thing that Jesus has called me to do that I don't know how to do. And so for our small group, plays a really important component in helping to fill that void. Matthew 16, just a couple of chapters back from where we were, Jesus says, and watch again, now he says to his disciples, this is a generic statement. So this applies, I believe, to everyone. And he says to them, if any of you wants to be my follower, is there anybody here who wants to be Jesus' follower? My hands up, both of them, and all my feet. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your own cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Apparently, Yaku lost his soul on a hike yesterday. 
But we found out later it was his foot, his shoe sole, but not his soul sole. Anyway, is anything more worth, worth more than your soul? The Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. We live in a world today which is all about self-fulfillment and self-actualization. Running after the dreams and the stuff that I want to do and that I want to be, that I want to become. And yet Jesus says, guess what? If you want to follow me, it doesn't work that way. No, but Philip, God has the greatest plans for me and He has hopes for future. and He's good to me. He is. What makes you think you know right now what that looks like? Can I ask you a question? There was a guy in Scripture. His name is Stephen. He is passionate for Jesus. He was so passionate for Jesus that he was the first person to be killed for Jesus. He did it with a smile on his face. Was God good for him? Was God good to him? You see, those questions, we have to wrestle with them. Take it a bit deeper. What about Stephen's mother? Was God good to Stephen's mother when Stephen was martyred? I believe he was, but not in the way that the world would define goodness to be. Was saying this morning, for me, one of the interesting things sometimes is how the world tries to define who and what we should be as Christians. From time to time, I have a conversation with somebody and then say, but you're a Christian, so you must do this. And then it gives me great joy to say, it's not your place to tell me what I should believe and do. You're telling me who God is that I should follow, and you don't even have a relationship with Him. And I try and do it in a loving, gracious way. But the world wants to define what Christianity looks like. And Jesus comes here and He says, if you want to follow me, step number one. You don't get to decide what that looks like. You don't get to decide what your life looks like. I fully believe that God says, implies in this, the life that I have planned for you is so much better than the life that you've got planned for yourself. But it's also different to the life you have planned for yourself. If anyone wants to come after me, most of our translations would say, you must deny yourself. He says, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross. There's going to be suffering as we follow Him. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to let it go, someone here tonight, God is going to we're going to pray for you afterwards. You've been struggling with control. You just have this need to be in control of your life and of everything in your life. And I've got a great word of freedom for you from tonight on. You never have to be in control again. Not if you want to follow Jesus. Because then He's in control. And either He's in control or you in control. We're not both in control. You know, sometimes it's really easy to follow Jesus. Have you guys noticed that? You know when it's easy to follow Jesus? When He agrees with us. That's easy. It's easy if we're kind of young, single guys. Many of us are in that age now. You see a girl. She's really attractive. You're drawn to her. You pray about it. And God says, yes, you can pursue her. That's easy to follow Jesus. God doesn't have to come and convince us to follow Him. It's hard to follow Jesus when it's about self-denial. When I'm laying down my life, when I'm saying, Jesus, 
I trust you. And this is a hard one for us. Jesus, I'm actually going to trust you more than I trust myself. We see that in our finances all the time. God, really, you want me to give 10%? No, no, God, I'm not. Well, here's a good question for us. Do you trust yourself? Do you think you can do more with 100% than God can do with 90%? Do you? Do you? Because I've learned in my life long ago, I can't. I can try, but I'm going to fail. Something happens when we choose to trust God. Just finances is one way. There are a hundred different ways in which that it gets expressed. And then there's another verse here, which once again in verse 27, if we have some Bible topics, we can use it here. For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their hearts. Or He will judge all people according to their intentions. It would be really nice if it said that, didn't it? He'll come and He'll judge us all about what I actually wanted to do with my life. Our only problem is that's not what it says. He will come and He will judge us according to our deeds. So as I said earlier, here we are not talking about salvation. We're not talking about where we're going to spend eternity. But we are talking about how we are going to spend eternity. You see, following Jesus requires movement. We can't just say, I'm going to be this good, nice, friendly Christian. Ticking all of the boxes. And God is busy moving. And we're saying, God, I follow you, except I'm not moving. Guess what? Then you're not following. And I promise you now, Jesus is moving and He is doing. And do you want to know what He is moving and what He is doing? He is building His church and He is building His kingdom. And just to take the fluffiness out of that, what does that mean? It means the person behind you and the person in front of you, the person next to you, he is building them. And he said to us, go and make disciples. Go and build these people. And if we are building, if we are following Jesus, there has to be movement in our lives for the kingdom. We can't just be going through the actions, ticking the boxes, having a nice family, loving our wife, looking after our kids. We need to do all of those things. But if we're truly following Jesus, like this rich young ruler, there is something more that he holds before us. We're going to be judged according to our deeds and our works. I need to hurry up and look 14. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turns around and he says to them, so once again, this isn't a specific conversation directed to an individual. This is a principle that he's sharing with everyone. He says to them, if you want to be my disciple. Is anybody here who wants to be Jesus' disciple? I do. You must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Ouch. But Jesus, hate is bad. No, no, Jesus would never want me to hate anybody. No, no, Jesus, you should have left this part out of Scripture. Can we just go back to the editing stage and just revise Scripture just for a moment? Or, God, there's something hidden in here about who you are. I want to get to know that. And so this evening, my message, as much as we're speaking about one topic, is less to do with the content as such of what I'm sharing and more to do with what are you and I going to do with the passages in Scripture we disagree with. Because if we want to know Jesus, if we really want to get to know more of Him, we have to embrace the passages that we don't understand. 
and we have to eat them like those olives until they taste good. Until we figure, until we see the beauty and the glory of Jesus hidden in them as much as we see them in the easy passages to read. You must hate everyone else, your father and mother, your wife and children, your brother and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. No, Jesus, that's a typing error. Surely, that's not what you meant. Except that's exactly what he meant. See, the challenges for those of us who are husbands and going to be husbands a little bit later is this revealing something to us because I also know Jesus says that I must love my wife as Christ loves the church, and that's a pretty intense love. But he is saying my love for him in comparison to that must be off the charts. Yes, I must be a good husband and I must be a good father. But what does my life look like so that I'm so passionate for Jesus that it looks like I hate my kids in, re- in relation to how much I love Jesus? One of those passages which, can we just have some Bible topics? The Bible would be a lot easier to read if this passage wasn't in it. But there's something about Jesus hidden in here. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. And so this is the generic principle of what he shared with that rich, for the rich young man. It was letting go of the stuff that was of value to him. For him, it was his stuff on this earth. For you, it could be something different. For me, it's different to for you. This is the generic principle. If we want to be Jesus' disciple. It's going to cost us something in the eyes of this world and in our own eyes. But the reward is so worth it. You know, Jesus looks at what we give up and he's like, you have no idea how much better I have in store for you. We keep getting stuck. One of the challenges that I find often in speaking to people who want to go into ministries, we wrestle with this. Just in this week, I had a conversation with a guy wrestling with this. It's going to cost me something. And we had a, a beautiful, open, frank conversation. And he said to me, thanks for having the conversation because obviously it's a little bit awkward and challenging. He feels he's called to some form of full-time ministry, but his life is going in this direction and ministry over here and he's definitely not moving towards there. And he's like, thank you so much for having this conversation because I know it's a bit awkward. I said, no, this is, an easy con- this is not an awkward conversation. An awkward conversation would be when you're 60 years old and we're sitting across the table like this, and you look at me and you say, Philip, I missed it. I missed it. That would be awkward. Or it would be even more awkward if he looks at me and says, and you let me. That would be awkward. So it's easy for me to have the conversation with a guy and saying, listen, you tell me you want to be here, but you are here right now. So how are we going to start praying about getting you from here to here? Because it's not going to happen one morning. You're going to wake up and suddenly you're going to have shifted. There's some things in your life, in your attitude, in your approach that need to change. So Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, there's a cross that you need to carry. And conversation I have often with people, we step into the mistake of comparing our crosses. Like it's not, it's not fair. I look at Johnny, and Johnny, his cross is so light. Compared, look, look at how much I have to give up, and look how little... 
And I'm like, but you have no idea how hard it is for Johnny to carry that cross. Maybe it would be easy for you to carry that cross, but that's not your cross to carry. Don't compare what God's asking Johnny to give up with what God's asking you to give up. You have no idea. You're not in Johnny's shoes. You don't know what it's costing him to give that up. Don't compare. What are the things in our hearts? What are the things that we hold on to? What are the things right now that if God, I heard somebody say the other day, a preacher, she was praying and some, something similar to this line, God, God's going to call you to give stuff up. And then she stops mid-sentence. She says, I really hope God never calls me to give up coffee. But what are those, what are the coffees in your life? What are the things in your life where like, if God was to ask me for that, going to be hard because here's a quick news flash for you that's probably what he's going to ask why because he wants everything else in your life to be surrendered so you can trust him and him alone you must by comparison hate everyone else even your own life otherwise you cannot be my disciple that's pretty simply said if you do not carry your own cross and follow me in other words you're taking this burden and I'm going and you're coming with me. You can't be my disciple. We can't say we are disciples of Jesus and be static at the same time. And this passage then carries on and he says, but don't begin until you count the cost. If you want to be my disciple, step number one, do some accounting. If you want to be my disciple, for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone will laugh at you. They're going to say, there's the guy who started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. What an idiot. Jesus brings that parallel to following him. He says, if you want to follow me, it's going to cost you some stuff. Don't be the guy who starts following me, but you're not willing to pay the price. Because then people are going to look at you and say, what a loser. The poor person, they're going to laugh at you. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? If he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything. And this translation says you own. It's more than just what you own. It's everything you are. Different translations would say you need to forsake. You need to renounce. You need to, and, and this is the sad, not the sad, the fortunate, the blessed reality that if we are going to follow Jesus, then we're only following Jesus. You see, following Jesus is not something that everyone just does. It's not like you wake up in the morning, oh, I'm going to follow Jesus and serve the world. There is an abundance of grace in our following Jesus. God doesn't expect, I love God, doesn't rebuke this guy. Just as an aside, it doesn't look, if we go back to the guy, in our, in our minds, the, the first guy we looked at, the rich young ruler, when he left away sad, we don't read that Jesus ran after him and said, oh, wait, 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 it's, it's actually not as bad as you think it is. Let me explain. 
It's amazing to me, and, and the world does this for us. The world defines Jesus as this nice guy. Jesus must always be the nice guy. Except when I read Scripture, I don't always see Jesus as the nice guy. I think if I'm sitting in a temple working at the money changes, and Jesus comes in and starts whipping everybody, I'm like, oh, he's such a nice guy. Look how warm and cuddly he is. He just wants to hug everybody. When he looks at the Pharisees and he says, you sons of the devil, you serpents. I mean, there's some passages with like for four verses, he's just insulting them. And I'm like, what Jesus is this? This is not the nice guy, loves everybody, all warm and cuddly Jesus. But it is Jesus. And so some of us would read those passages and we're like, where's my Bible topics? Some of us would read those passages and we're like, yes, that's a Jesus I love. When I started off in small group in church, we had this thing where every small group got a logo. So just part of the fun in church, we had every small group get a logo. And back then we had pin-up boards and we didn't have electronic databases and all of that stuff. So our small group sat and we, you know, this image, and it's a long story behind it, but you know the image of a fish, which is meant to represent a follower of Christ. You guys seen it. Some people put the fish on the back of their car and they've always got this car that's falling apart. And I'm like, no, Jesus is better than your falling apart car. Anyway, you get this fish, this image, and we were like, yes, we want to be followers of Jesus. But if we're going to be a fish, we're going to be a piranha, a fish with teeth. Because as much as we're following Jesus, there's a place where the Word of God has bite to it. And some of these passages are, are passages like this where it's, it's got some teeth. You know, when the Word gets hold of you, you're like, whoa, God, seriously, is this you? And he's like, this is me, beautiful and glorious. Can I just say again, a message like this, once again, is built on previous week's messages. So this message, disconnected from last week's message about God being worthy and His commitment to heal and help, is going to warp our understanding of what we're saying. But as God builds upon those messages, it helps us know who He truly is. And so the question in this context for us this evening is what are the things that make it hard for us to be followers of Jesus? Because Jesus wants to say to us, and I guess these are not the messages you preach when you want to follow, fill up your church and have a whole bunch of people suddenly putting up their hands and say, yes, here I am. I want to follow Jesus. There are a couple of times where Jesus has a crowd of disciples following him. Just by the way, the 12 weren't disciples. There were multitudes the Bible calls disciples. And he looks at them and he teaches them something in the one passage specifically. It says, from that day, a great many followed him no more. From that day, a great many followed him no more. So my question is, what would be the things that would make it hard for us to follow Jesus? What is it that when Jesus brings this word, if Jesus speaks this truth. If I read this passage and I take that seriously, I'm like, God, I don't know if I can follow you. Jesus looks at that with all the love and all the grace. He says, yes, because you're not following me, you're following yourself. But if you're going to follow me, you'd be willing to say no. 
If you're going to follow me, you're going to do it my way. If you're going to follow me, you're going to let go what's important to you and you're going to grasp hold of what's important to me. And in losing your life, you will find it. And so our last passage is in here in Mark chapter 10 as we close. Peter, can I just quickly just maybe interrupt myself? I love Peter. This apostle who just messes up all the time and makes me feel so much better about my life because I mess up a lot as well. And so here's Peter in Matthew 16, which we read just now when Jesus says to his disciples that kind of you must give up. If you want to follow Jesus, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. That Jesus. I mean, that Matthew 16. Just before that, the start of Matthew 16, Jesus has this great conversation with Peter. He says, Peter, who am I? And Peter's like, well, the people say you're a prophet, you're a nice guy, you're all of these things. Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, who do you say I am? Peter is, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. Jesus is like, yes, Peter, you get it. And blessed, you're fortunate because it's not some person who's told you this. You, this is a revelation from my Father in heaven. Well done, Peter. Like the next verse. Jesus starts saying about how he's going to die and lay down his life. And so the same Peter who has just said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Do you know what Peter does? He rebukes Jesus. He's like, no, Jesus, you are wrong. No, Jesus, your faith is too little. This is not going to happen with you. Jesus, there's actually a better plan for your life. I wonder how many times we do that. And then Jesus is like, Get behind me, Satan. And then his instruction, because your ways, your thoughts, are not the thoughts of God, but the thoughts of man. I wonder how often we're in that place. God, you are worthy. God, you are so holy. God, you are amazing. Oh, but God, you're also wrong. It's exactly where Peter finds himself. And then God comes and like he rebukes Peter. And obviously Peter's like, okay, wait. He's not wrong. I'm wrong. I need to change. And so Peter begins to say to Jesus, this is just after Jesus has said to this rich young ruler, if you want to follow me, you've got to give up everything. And the guy's like, oh, gee, that's pretty rough. And he leaves. And then Peter is like, yeah, I've given up everything. I can claim this one. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Can I just pause there quickly? Do you know what the implication is? That there are going to be some of us who are going to leave mother and father, brother and sister, children or lands for his sake and for the gospel. Once again, can I just typics that out? There's no way Jesus is going to cause me to leave the people I love for his sake and for the gospel. Jesus wouldn't do that. Not the Jesus I know. Well, I've got good news for you. There's a real Jesus that wants to meet you, not the Jesus that you think you know. Once again, we read these passages. And like, oh, I'd rather not have that in there. But then Jesus carries on and he says, There is no one who has done that who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions 
and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. I'm going to ask the band to come up and, and lead us in a song. As we close, my challenge for us this evening is twofold. Firstly, in general, what are you guys going to do? Come up. What are you guys going to do with, what are we going to do? Can I just, I should have said this at the beginning. You know, if I'm preaching this message tonight, I'm definitely not preaching it at you. If anything, I'm sitting right here in the front seat, hearing this first, preaching it to myself. This is a little bit of some of the stuff that I'm wrestling with. What does it mean for me to be passionate about Jesus? It's one thing nice on our logo, you know, passionate for Jesus, that's who we are. Whoop, whoop, whoop. What does Jesus say it looks like when we're passionate for Jesus? So my question for us twofold is, what are we going to do with the passages that we don't like? Because I believe locked up in them is the key to growing in Christ, to getting to know Jesus better. But we are only going to know Jesus in a certain way if we keep focusing on the passages we like and we agree with. What if we get serious about the passages we don't like? And we say, God, I want to eat this until it tastes good. I want to learn to find the beauty and the joy in this, but it doesn't agree with me at all because, you know, Jesus, you and I are not quite agreeing on this point. You're probably not going to change, so maybe I should. What are we going to do with those passages? I want to encourage us. Let's embrace them. And then more specifically tonight, are we going to follow Jesus? Are we going to stand up and say, I want to follow you, Jesus? Not I'm going to follow you, but I'll follow you if. No, Jesus says, do that, then follow me. We want to say, God, if you will, then I'll follow you. God, that's not quite how it works if I'm worthy and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So my invitation for us this evening is, can we say that I have decided, I've just been singing this song, just meditating, and this was one refrain, this one, almost two lines, like, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. There's no turning back. And for some of us, perhaps there are things that God is speaking to us about, and He's saying, you want to come and follow me? I'd love for you to follow me. Can I just, I want to say this again, because some of us are going to miss this. This has absolutely nothing to do with God's love for you. God's love for you is perfect and goes beyond our wildest dreams. Whether we respond or not, God loved that rich young ruler, whether he gave up his stuff or whether he didn't give up his stuff. God loved him. We can't earn Lord's love. God's not going to suddenly love us more. We're not going to achieve more. God's love doesn't work like that. But there is something about our knowing him and our satisfaction, our finding our life in obeying him, in saying, God, I'm going to trust you. 
God, I want momentum in my life. God, I don't want to be the nice 65-year-old Christian who's ticked all the boxes, but is still saying, God, isn't there more? God, I want to be the 65-year-old who is just getting going. One of my favorite quotes is by Reinhard Bonke, and whenever he speaks, he speaks with this heavy German accent, which I'm not going to try now. But his son-in-law said to him one day, Dad, you're getting old, and you're losing steam. And I'm young, and I'm gaining steam. I'm going to overtake you one of these days. And his dad goes, no, 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 no. That's not how these things work. He spreads his arms out like this. He says, a Boeing is fastest at the end of the runway. I want to be the 65-year-old who is following Jesus, who is only picking up momentum, who just before takeoff has more speed than when he started on the runway. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want you to waste your life. I would hate for any of us to, when you are 60 years old, sit around the table and say, Philip, I missed it. That would be really sad. And what would break it is if he looked at me and he said, and you let me. So as a shepherd in that sense, I don't want to let any of us go through life without being confronted with the reality of choosing to follow Jesus. How uncomfortable and as weird, however that may look, it is so much more worth it. So I'm going to ask the band to lead us in this song. And I want to encourage you, if God is challenging you to step away from something, maybe He's coming to you like He came to this rich young ruler. For the rich young ruler, it was his finances. I don't know what it is for you. But what are the things that if God speaks to you about that, you leave sorrowful? I want to encourage you tonight to do business with Him. Say, Jesus, if you're asking it, I'm giving it. Because you are good. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm losing control, God. But Jesus, if it's you, then I'm saying yes. Here I come, God. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. Can we stand this evening? I want to pray with us. Jesus, I want to thank you for every single soul here, God. God, I just know there's so much, not only potential, God, but just so much of you, so much purpose, so much hope, so much life, so much momentum, Jesus, so much meaning, so much love that's contained within this room, Lord God. And Jesus, tonight we want to come and we want to say we want to follow you. Lord, it looks different to what the world says our lives should look like, God. But Jesus, tonight we want to take a moment and just count that cost. And say, here we are, Jesus. We're willing to pay the price. Lord, it's a high price. It seems a hard price to us. But we also know it's a price that's worth it. God, we don't want to value the things of this world, God. The, the things that, God, we just in our practice and in our lives value more than you. We want to step away from those tonight because we have decided to follow Jesus, Lord. There's no turning back. So tonight, I want to encourage you, if that's you and you need to make that decision for the first time.
can do that. Maybe you're here and you just want to make a recommitment just again. Maybe you've done it 10 times, but it's just a stirring in your heart again to say, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. I'm going to follow you. I've checked the numbers again. I've run the calculations and I'm willing to pay the price. I want to ask if that's you, any of those groups. I want to ask you to be bold and step forward. And you're not stepping forward for me and you're not stepping forward for the person next to you. You're stepping forward because tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and it's not just going to be a feeling that you had sitting in your chair. You're going to say, I know God spoke to me and I responded. So the stepping out is a place for you to activate your faith. To say, Jesus, I'm following you and that means I've got to move. I'm not just going to stay static, God. I'm, I want to follow you wherever you may lead me. So as we sing this song, if that's you, you want to make just a, a new commitment, a renewed commitment to Christ to follow Him. Maybe there's something that's been holding you back, and tonight you just want to come and say, Jesus, I'm letting that go. You do that. You step forward as we sing, and we're going to minister to you. We're going to trust for a freedom, for a liberty. That you can, like Peter, say, here I am, Jesus. I've given up everything. And Jesus says, yes, I know. And I'm no man's debtor. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that you enjoyed your time with us, establishing God's kingdom and His glory in your life. For more info, call us on 012-362-1363. Email us, pretoria at shofaronline.org. Browse our website, www.shofaronline.org. Or like us on facebook.com forward slash shofarpretoria.